Hello and welcome to How to Win Friends and Influenza, a podcast all about life in medicine. My name's Lily and I'm your host. Now, this episode we're recording on the road again to give you something truly amazing. And when I say truly amazing, let's talk about miracles. So some of the miracles that show how far this modern world has progressed include theater. Because of all the things that theater shows, it's that we don't need to run away from predators anymore. Instead, we have the luxury of having people dress up and frolic around on stage. And that's pretty amazing. Now, you could argue that sport is similar in the sense that it's a lot of people running around on a field according to made-up rules. So these really show us that it's not about basic survival anymore because no longer are we grinding two stones together before we settle to sleep in a dark, cold cave. Because life is a little bit more about meaning. So theatre gives us culture and sports gives us fun, exercise, teamwork and entertainment. So sport and exercise is a huge part of modern life. Now the issue is that sport and exercise comes with its own set of challenges and injuries. And that's why sports medicine is a specialty all to itself. So this episode, we've got Dr. Bob on the show to talk all about sports medicine work, what that involves, and the best and most challenging parts of this job. So welcome. Thank you, Lily. Now, you do a lot of really interesting work. So could you tell us what a typical day is like, if that even mm-hmm. exists? Well, I, I'm a, you know, at my core, I'm a family physician. That was mm. my training. And I've done additional training in sports medicine. And I actually run a sports medicine training program in the United States, in Southern California, and I work in a big healthcare organization called Kaiser Permanente, and it's sort of unique in that it's what we call a prepaid health maintenance organization, or HMO, in that we're both the insurance company and the healthcare providers, and so patients actually pay us each month to take care of all their healthcare needs, and so it's a unique situation where the healthier our patients are, the more profitable we are, Mm -hmm. and so I think those incentives line up very well. So I do uh, both family medicine practice. I do several family medicine clinics each week, and I have a panel of probably, I don't know, eight or 900 patients that I've had for many years that are my regular patients. And then I also uh, staff sports medicine clinics with our, my fellows, and I usually do four half days of sports medicine a week. And those are referral clinics generally for non-operative musculoskeletal issues that are uh, either occurred during sports or keeping people from playing sports. And we mostly take care of um, you know, high school athletes, collegiate athletes, a few professionals, and then the weekend warriors. And so I like the variety. I, I, I still really enjoy being someone's family physician and doing that, but I also enjoy taking care of active and athletic patients. And so it's a nice combination for me to do both. Yeah, and what's the biggest difference between the very athletic and energetic active patients and the general population? Well, I think that certainly my active and athletic patients are more likely to suffer from overuse injuries, from you know musculoskeletal issues that arise because they are so active and athletic. Whereas my ones who are not, they're more sedentary, I'm usually dealing with chronic medical problems. I'm right. dealing with diabetes and high blood pressure and cholesterol. And the, the ravages of being overweight and obese, you know, obviously these are much higher in people who, who are more sedentary. Yeah, and what got you interested in sports medicine and exercise in the first place? Well, I was an athlete growing up. I, I played basketball. I played in high school and college and was very dedicated to the sport. Really, it was kind of my whole life when I was young. And then when I got to medical school, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really interested in surgical specialties. I did not enjoy being in the operating room at all. I really liked family medicine, but I really missed being around colleagues who, you know, I always thought I'd end up being a basketball coach before I went to medical school. That was sort of my goal is to, to coach basketball, probably at the collegiate level. 
Um, and so when I got to, to medical school, I really found I missed that environment. And so it was amazing to, to be able to go out and to be a team physician uh, for various sports and, and to be in that environment, be around coaches and athletes really was a lot of fun. But really what I do enjoy most is, is doing general practice, doing family medicine care. And really I look at sports medicine as really, particularly primary care sports medicine, non-surgical sports medicine, as being the primary care of athletes. You're simply taking care of the medical needs that these people have. And for the most part, it's, it's the same as the non-active population, but uh, with, an, over, with an, an emphasis, as I mentioned, we see more overuse injuries and musculoskeletal issues. And so that ends up being a, a large part of what we take care of in sports medicine. Yeah, and it sounds like one of the huge advantages of sports medicine is you can merge one of your outside interests of sport Absolutely. with medicine. So it's a lot of passion there. But on the flip side, what's probably the most challenging or difficult thing about this? You know, I think what I've really become passionate about is sort of changing paradigms. I just think we don't put the, the emphasis in healthcare, particularly in the United States, is all on pills and procedures. That seems to be the only thing that matters. There's very little interest and certainly almost no remuneration for making people healthy. Mm. We're just a reactive system that, that deals, spends a lot of money dealing with crises. We want to just wait until something gets bad and we love to, you know, the emphasis is always on the big save, you know, some big surgery we did or big procedure we did that, you know, helped prolong someone's life even though if we would have prevented this years earlier, it would have made much more sense at a, much, at a fraction of the cost. And it's just astounding how we've talked about this forever, uh, about the importance of prevention, yet we just can't seem to change it. And the pharmaceutical industry really does its best to ensure in the procedural industry that makes you know, the, the various uh, stents and other things we use, they want to make sure that, they, they, that people believe this is the only real treatment. But yet we know of study after study this, the false hope that most of the pills and procedures provide. And I, I tell you, I come to work most days uh, just shaking my head. Is that all the better? That's all the more we have. You know, I started you on this medicine, the levodopa for your Parkinson's, and my God, it's hardly working, and you have all these side effects. Or that antidepressant that you're spending ridiculous amounts of money, that's all the better you are. You're still seeing like you've hardly improved your depression and you know, you've had your spine surgery and your back still hurts and you're back in seeing me after your back surgery. Uh, I'm just really frustrated that we, you know, in a lot of cases, we're just not really telling the truth to patients about how ineffective a lot of these treatments we use are. And it, it's time for a change. You know, we, we have really got to put our, uh, put some of the, uh, you know, emphasis on prevention, put some money behind it, uh, you know, and really get serious about it instead of just paying lip service. And you know it's not going to happen in my generation, but hopefully yours. You know, you know, folks are going to realize, hey, this is where it's at, and we got to we got to take the emphasis off of pharma. We can't have senior citizens on twelve different medications. Mm -hmm. That's just ridiculous. And, and and just on its face, that ought to be okay. Something is wrong here. This patient has been mismanaged. When you're you end up on that many medications. Anyway, we've got to change that. Yeah, so there is a huge role for prevention as opposed to just treatment. But as a sports physician, when people come into your clinic at that point, you know, your only sort of choice is treatment. So what sorts of management do you tend to give people? Do you rely a lot on medications or is it referring to physiotherapy or something else? You know, I, I think I have found the longer I've practiced again, I, you know, in, in that, that so much of the in more invasive things from injections to surgery just don't work that well. And there have been a host of studies coming out that I've just found fascinating where we were doing sham surgeries. And, mm. you know, because all of the, the surgeries have evolved without really the randomized 
A placebo-controlled trial does not exist in surgical procedures. Yet every time we do one, we do a sham surgery, we tell the patient we're doing a surgery, and it started with surgeries of the knee. Those of us who have been doing sports medicine, we know that the meniscectomy, the clean-out procedure for the torn meniscus just doesn't work. And the but arthroscopy as well. The yeah. arthroscopy, you know, we, we, that has probably hurt more knees than it's ever helped, and it just leads, and then it feeds the, the joint replacement surgeon. The arthroscopist takes a shot at him, and then they end up with a knee replacement. But, you know, there's been three studies that, that they did a fake procedure where they told the patient, I'm trimming out your cartilage, cleaning it up in there, and, uh, but they, weren't, they were showing them a fake video of the surgery and not actually doing it. That turned out the same as the one who had the real procedure. And there was just one done from the sh- for the shoulder. Um, there was one done for labrum surgery. Every time we do one of these sham studies, there's no difference between the fake surgery and the real surgery. And I think uh, you know those of us non-surgeons really have to be speaking up about this, and we need to really. The problem around the world is not too too few surgeons; it's we're doing way too much of these things. And I'm not saying that surgery has no role, but it's much it's much more limited than we currently see because the financial remuneration is all towards doing things to people. That's the only way you make money in healthcare, and that sh- it should be just the opposite. It ought to be where if you have to put a stint in a patient, you lose money on that. You shouldn't be making lots of money putting in a stent. A cardiologist should not make any more money if he puts a stent in or he doesn't put a stent in. Right, because it gives a difficult incentive. It's ridiculous. We can't put that incentive in front of any person. It's just not fair to them, and it's not fair mostly to the patient that that you've got somebody whose decision-making is is so warped by financial incentive. That is just an illogical way to run a healthcare system. So if surgery is sort of on the shelf just for special situations, what is in your... Uh, everyday arsenal of management tools? Yeah, so the first thing is proper diagnosis. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, and, and in my experience with diagnosis, less imaging is more. We tend to way over rely instead of doing a, a proper physical exam mm-hmm. and really assessing the functional stability of an injury and how, what, have, what have they lost, where are they with this injury. We want to just go right to imaging to, quote, find out what's going on, which we know there's very little correlation between the level of symptoms in imaging. I've been uh, continually astounded of x-rays that look horrible and the person has very few symptoms and people who have a lot of symptoms, particularly from arthritis, and the x-rays don't look at that. And so, you know, we know you treat the patient, not the film. And so, you know, I think we, there needs to be a greater, a much less emphasis on um, doing these imaging procedures in terms of diagnosis. In terms of medication, we've really been led down a road of way overusing medications, um, you know, particularly for the, the idea of the anti-inflammatory effect. We went through this phase where everybody, if you had any kind of musculoskeletal injury, we just put you on Motrin or some other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication. Um, and then we, you know, then we got into the whole, you know, pain is the fifth vital sign, which was the dumbest thing we ever did, and, and this belief that we could just treat, give people narcotics and it would relieve their pain and they would never get addicted. What a fallacy that was. We've addicted half the world to narcotics. It's just astounding the way, and again, we were pushed into it by pharmaceutical companies that, that said pain is the fifth vital sign and they were promoting lawsuits if you didn't treat someone's pain. And it's still that way. If, if people's pain isn't adequately treated, you can be marked down. It's just crazy that we still have some of those rules in place um, you know, because eliminating pain is no more logical than eliminating all death. People are going to have pain, and we just have to figure out better ways 
to deal with it. And so I, I use a lot of just modalities from, from ice and heat and stretching, uh, certainly physical therapy, uh, selective use. I don't do a lot of injections. I do more dry needling. Um, you know, to me, we have an ethical obligation. If two things work equally well, the one that's less expensive, you have an obligation to choose to be a steward of the money we spend on healthcare. And I, I've seen this proliferation of injectable things from PRP to stem cells that haven't proven any to be any more effective than just even saline for the most part. And so why not use saline if, if it works the same? And, and so I think that that's been an emphasis in my practice and you know the body gets better and and you know I, I think Hippocrates talked about this that you know we sort of uh, you know give the patient something else to think about while the while the body heals itself and, and giving it a chance to do that is the most important thing and protecting them uh, protecting patients from doing too much whether it is the latest wacky treatment pill physical therapy maneuver uh, and, and just trying to help them get better and get through their injury that's really I think where the expertise of primary care sports medicine is the most valuable yeah so humans may not be starfish who so I've heard you know you cut off a limb and they'll regrow we may not be at that level but we but do most have of pretty us get amazing better. yeah we do have pretty amazing um, healing capacities the fact and that we can we try to amuse the patient yeah. while it happens yeah <laughs> Now we've talked about some really deep topics from moral incentives to ethics and to stewardship. Now I'm going to move the conversation to something a little bit more frivolous and talk about celebrity photos. So the biggest celebrity I've taken a photo with is Lawrence Lung, who's a local Australian comedian. And this was after he gave a speech about Santa Claus. So he's a really cool guy, but I realize the more I talk about this, the less cool it sounds. In contrast, on a whole different level, you've taken various photos with the US Surgeon General. So what's the story behind that? Well, you know, part of the, uh, my work has been trying to connect fitness with healthcare, and I started an initiative called Exercises Medicine, which really the goal of this was just to get physicians to ask patients about their exercise habits and exercise vital signs so that when you measure traditional vital signs, their blood pressure pulse, you weigh them and, and measure their height so you have their BMI, that you, and you ask them about smoking, you ask them about exercise. And so this has really taken off in, in the healthcare system where I practice at Kaiser Permanente. We have 11, over 11 million patients. Every patient gets asked at every visit, regardless of the specialist they're seeing, they get asked about their exercise habits. Well, the Office of the Surgeon General became very interested in this, in promoting physical activity. So uh, we've worked very closely with them. The, the American College of Sports Medicine has been the sponsoring organization of the Exercises Medicine Initiative, and we've collaborated with the American Medical Association and a host of other medical organizations. And so the Office of the Surgeon General has been very supportive. And so at a lot of our events, the Surgeon Generals come out and have spoke about the importance of assessing a physical activity and making an exercise prescription. So it's been fun to work with them. Yeah, and could you tell us one success story about how exercise could help people? Well, you know, I've got, a, I've got a numerous, I mean, from personal patients who, who just dramatically improved when I finally convinced them to get up and walk. But one of the most astounding to me is, is my work with a club called the Claremont Club. It's a health club uh, that's in my neighborhood where I work out, actually, and the CEO of the health club uh, is become a, a friend, a good friend, and he's been a patient of mine for many years. And he's sort of dedicated his club to helping people struggling with chronic illness and injuries. And it's, it's been astounding the effect he has. We've had programs on everything from women with breast cancer coming in with an exercise support group, um, exercising regularly at the club to uh, patients with various uh, strokes and heart disease and cancers, 
the most interesting though has been a spinal cord program where we simply call it, we call it Project Walk, where we're just getting, uh, using some specialized equipment to get quadriplegic and paraplegic patients upright and to start moving their legs in a walking motion and it's astounding the effect it's had. People who were told they'd never walk again. They also use some specialized equipment so they can do resistance training and it's amazing when you get anybody back in a gym, you know, that's the problem with, uh, you know, being in a wheelchair, you tend to become so deconditioned and you're just sort of left to fend for yourself and usually insurance money has run out, there's nowhere to turn these people not only physically beaten down but emotionally and mentally and it's amazing when you can get them back into a gym and help them with some specialized equipment to work out the effect it has and so that's been the most amazing success stories that I've been affiliated with. Yeah and it just shows how much of an impact exercise can have. It really is a very powerful medication. Yeah so just before we finish off let me ask you one terribly hypothetical question. If you had a magic megaphone that could reach every doctor in the world what message would you want to broadcast to them? Well, I think that's easy for me to respond. I, I, it is. Think of exercise as your first prescription. Don't immediately pull out the prescription pad because the patient's blood pressure is high, the cholesterol is high. Now, obviously, I'm not saying don't use medications, and I still use medications, um, but I really think starting first with that. I mean, we would all agree that we ought to get our patients to do it, and I think we can have an effect. I know we can if you're passionate about it and you, you follow up with the patient and keep encouraging, you'll see dramatic improvements in, in virtually every chronic condition that you deal with if you can get those patients to be more active. And, and the only way to do it is by making the effort and, and, it, and it will happen. I've seen it happen in my practice. That's right. So lifestyle can be very, very effective and physicians are in a great place to do those brief interventions and actually tell people and recommend this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Bob. It's been a great interview. We've given our listeners a lot of wisdom. So we'll see you all in the next episode.